0: We're back and joined by a third of our regulars here on Mondays at Secure Freedom Radio. I couldn't be more pleased to say. His name is Charles Sam Faddis. You know him as a former undercover central intelligence agency operative, among other things. These days, he is the driving force behind a terrific online resource and magazine.com. And there are several things that he's written about in recent days there that I wanted to make sure we covered with you all, Um, in particular because Sam, as is often the case, is keeping his eye on the ball, on things that most of us are overlooking or ignoring or simply missing the significance of. And one of them is, what is emerging now in the aftermath of Joe Biden's ignominious defeat in Afghanistan, and in particular, the surrender of large sums of money and enormous amounts of advanced weaponry to one of the most dangerous terrorist organizations on the planet, the Taliban. It's good to have you back with us, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Great to
1: be here as always. Thank you.
0: So just walk us through a little bit about the possible order of battle of the Taliban now and what they may have in mind doing with their military capabilities and terrorist ideology?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the, the... As is, as is always, I feel like we end up starting at the same at the same point. We have a, an administration in Washington that sort of just wants to peddle nonsense and, and propaganda and lies and, and tell you that, you know, it's not really a big deal. The Taliban took over in Afghanistan, but they're kinder and gentler, and there's some sort of Taliban 2.0. And, and none of that, of course, is true. It appears to me that they're a little more media savvy and so a little more adept at manipulating the media. But in terms of what they're doing, it's they. They are transforming, um, Afghanistan. I mean, they have declared an Islamic emirate and they are transforming Afghanistan into a brutal, barbaric, sixth century wasteland. Uh, They are gradually, you know, they are step by step by step imposing all the same rules that they imposed back in the 90s. You know, women can't leave home now without a male escort, school closed. Women are thrown out of work. Barbers are being harassed for daring to trim a beard, all of this kind of stuff. But they are also doing some things that are a lot more uh, muscular, uh, immediately threatening. They are actively forming what is either according to who you listen to either a hundred thousand or 150,000 man, military, formal military organized units, of course, using all of the equipment that Joe left for them and then has declined to destroy since, uh, they are specifically forming a component of that military, which is all suicide bombers. Um, and, uh, and continuing to glorify that cult of death, and already really embroiled in some pretty serious border disputes with Tajikistan and Pakistan and so forth. So where are they headed with this? They're headed up for a continuation of jihad beyond their borders, in my estimation.
0: The suicide bomber component is particularly arresting, shall we say, in the sense that um, that's a problem if you just have one suicide bomber, or even perhaps a small number of them engaged in suicide missions like 9-11. But the idea that you might have a a cohort of them organized and uh, trained and supported by a government um, raises this to a whole new level. Especially, Sam, if, as you know very well from your time in uh, some of the badlands of Pakistan, they are able to be dispatched um, worldwide to advance the agenda of global jihad and the ultimate realization of sharia's uh, agenda of a of a worldwide caliphate
1: you no know? yeah and that's. i mean this is exactly what their intention is right they people uh, often either aren't aware of exactly what these what the worldview is, or they just don't want to face it. But there is no intention here to seek coexistence. They're not simply looking for some sort of Taliban homeland. They are dedicated to violent jihad and the spread worldwide and the establishment of a worldwide caliphate. And when it comes to suicide bombers, these folks, as many of the other uh, terrorist groups, uh, Islamic terrorist groups do, glorify. This is really a cult of death. It is not simply a matter that their fighters are willing to die in pursuit of a cause. Uh, this is how you enter paradise, right? Quite literally. This is not an abstract concept for them. They, this is you want to die as long as you die in You know, performing jihad, suicide uh, in in and of itself is is regarded as a sin. But killing yourself as you are killing infidels and fighting the fight is the most glorious way to die that there is. This is perfection. This is paradise. To say nothing of the
0: 72 virgins, right?
1: Uh, they well, I mean, you know people talk about that, and i have I have dealt a lot with these folks and I've even interviewed suicide bombers who were not obviously successful or I wouldn't have been interviewing them. but they are recruited believing that this is an immediate physical reality. You will die and then the next moment you will be in paradise, including enjoying the company of the seventy two virgins for the rest of time. and uh, they're also, you know much more if you were, much more immediate earthly things they do here they go around to compensate the families of suicide bombers they give them land recognition and money um, a lot of these guys are young guys you go to a family that can barely feed uh, the kids that they have and offer to turn them into rock stars and hand them a lot of cash if one of their sons agrees to blow himself up and you got a lot of recruits so yes now they're forming an organized Uh, a group, it's unclear how many, but we're talking many, many hundreds of these folks some of them apparently have already been dispatched to the border with Tajikistan because there's an ongoing dispute there. Can only a matter? Uh, it's only a matter of time till you start seeing them detonating themselves in Pakistan because the Pakistanis have they 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 think they control the Taliban. And they are finding out very quickly that they don't.
0: Uh, and that's an interesting data point. Again, you uh, served uh, for some time during the course of uh, the Afghan campaign in Pakistan. The difference between the Sharia adherence of the Pakistani government and that pursued by the Taliban uh, would seem to most outward observers to be minimal. Uh, And yet there is uh, now a growing indication that the Taliban is going to pursue jihad against its fellow jihadists and erstwhile enablers in the Pakistani government, no? What is the the ideological or theological purpose or justification for this, Sam? Or is it is it just a question of power and, and the aspiration on the part of the Taliban to get their hands on those nuclear weapons, the Pakistani army?
1: Well, I mean, I think the biggest, the portion of this is that, you know, sort of more earthly or worldly things begin to intrude. You, I mean, this is why we end up with, with jihadist groups whose ideologies are to any outside observer, essentially indistinguishable. And yet they will fight each other and kill each other and blow each other up and, and each one of them claiming to be more more holy than the other. I mean, the, the prize of what is probably at least 200 nuclear warheads sitting in Pakistan is, of course, enormous. And as you've suggested many times when we've been talking, absolutely true that this ideology, this jihadism has burrowed its way into the Pakistani establishment long, long ago. I mean, you've got a lot of people in very important positions, including probably some of those who are charged with guarding nuclear weapons, who believe that in in this jihadist cause. They are not secular uh, in any sense. So, I mean, the Pakistanis and the the Taliban are already having a major fight over the Durand line, right, which divides Pakistan from Afghanistan and was drawn by the Brits way back when. The Taliban has always said they pay no attention to it. It basically divides the Pashtun areas in half. Most of the Taliban are Pashtun. The Pakistanis are now frantically fencing, (laughs) building a border wall, between them and the Taliban, trying to keep them out, and the Taliban is regularly going out and destroying the fencing, and also now overtly threatening Pakistan if they continue to do this. That is a clear demonstration they are very serious when they don't when they say they do not recognize the existence of that border. So there are big chunks of Pakistan that they are laying claim to as as part of this Pashtun homeland. In
0: in which the Taliban has been operating for some time, and this is part of what was our problem in Afghanistan and why your work for the Central Intelligence Agency was so vital, Sam, was keeping eyes on what was going on in the sort of support infrastructure across that border in Pakistan uh, with the active you know, connivance of the government there, um, and very much to the detriment of American military personnel and, and interests across the border in Afghanistan. Sam, let me turn to another topic quickly with you before we run out of time. Um, you, of course, have been very active with our Committee on the Present Danger of China and otherwise on the Chinese front. And I'm interested in your thoughts about this question of the genocide games. Um, We have launched, as you know, a a new campaign intended to try to press the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to protect our athletes, uh, save our uh, Olympic athletes, as we call it, um, from what seems to be a very high probability that they will be subjected in Beijing to, at a minimum, quarantine, which can be very hard for their training regimen, maybe even essentially rendering them incapable of competing effectively in the games, but also possibly exposing themselves to some very dangerous diseases, uh, possibly some new strain of COVID uh, or even hemorrhagic fever. What are your recommendations, Sam, about The advisability of sending our Olympic athletes into Beijing next month under these circumstances.
1: Well, of course, I think it's grotesque that we're sending anybody that that we ever intended to send anybody anyway. I mean, when we get to the the fact that we're talking about a brutal communist regime that has concentration camps, executes dissidents and engages in forced organ harvesting it seems to me that ought to be enough to say we're not going to play but on this just on this disease front that you've that you've identified here it's kind of insane that we're going to send our people we're still we, we clearly two years into this are not making a dent in controlling the spread of covid and now we're going to send all these people to an event at the epicenter of the pandemic and then bring them all back here. And we're going to encourage people from all over the globe to do the same. That That's madness. That's contrary to every principle of controlling a pandemic.
0: And we're doing it under the, I guess, pretext that the Chinese government is assuring these athletes that they will be kept safe. Um, but when they are locking down cities of 13 million people, it seems pretty clear they're not able to keep anybody safe, let alone uh, people who they have a powerful interest in infecting, arguably, based on what we saw them do with the military games in 2019, I believe. And certainly what they have an interest in doing to reduce their uh, competition, for the gold at the Olympics. I mean this this seems to be so removed from well just plain common sense, Sam, let alone you know, a prudent public health policy or national security policy for that matter. It's hard to countenance what on earth the government of the United States, uh, the U.S Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or, or for that matter, even the athletes themselves are thinking on these scores.
1: Yeah, well, I think basically we have a government that is owned lock, stock and barrel by the communist Chinese and terrified of the prospect of, of offending them or standing up to them. As you say, when, when you tell me that you're going to control the spread of this disease, you, you know, you being the Chinese Communist Party, but two years into this thing, you're having to lock down cities of 15 million people and some terrified bid to, con, to contain something that manifestly like, have done. Demonstrated, you can't contain. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to pay any attention to any of your assurance. I don't, I don't care what you say to me. You have demonstrated in the real world that you have no idea what you're doing. This is giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're even trying, right? There is the other dimension that you've alluded to, that they've deliberately spread these things or they, that, that kind of evil intent. But even giving them the benefit of the doubt, they have at a minimum demonstrated. They have absolutely no idea how to stop the spread of this disease.
0: Um, Sam, last, and, and very quickly, if I can, um, we are now hearing from the United States government with the qualities you've just described, that um, actually our relationship with China in the shared endeavor to control climate change trumps whatever uh, unease we have about the threat posed by the Chinese to us. As a seasoned, as well as highly accomplished national security professional, what do you say in response to that
1: it would be laughable if it wasn't so terrifying right we're we're now going to say that our our partnership with a, a totalitarian communist regime trumps everything else this, this whole business about climate change by the way is is the next front in this right having established the principle that your constitutional rights don't matter if we declare a health emergency we now have created an environment in which anything that gets labeled a health emergency Will justify the suspension of your constitutional rights, and the next thing up is climate change. At which point you will discover that the government will tell you what kind of car you can buy, if you can drive it, what kind of fuel you can burn, where you can set your thermostat, and everything else on earth. If if we concede these points,
0: and the Chinese will have helpfully contributed the social credit system to facilitate that kind of control, um, at the great expense, of course, of what's left of our freedoms. Sam your clarity on all of these points is so appreciated, as is your tracking at endmagazine.com these tremendously important issues that uh, are not getting the kind of attention that they require. I salute you for doing that, my friend. Your continuing service to our country, as well as that you've rendered in the past, is so appreciated, as is your time with us here each week. We'll look forward to doing it again next week. Till then, stay well, my friend. Until then, I hope the rest of you will plan on being back with us again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Affney. Thanks for listening.